When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me, Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and of course, review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, Kennedy Meeks. Relatively recent ball player. Yeah, I see I got that reaction out of you, Taylor. The big man, the big man from North Carolina. He's a national title winner. He's been to a couple of title games. I think he was on that roster that lost to Villanova and then exacted revenge against Gonzaga. But Kennedy Meeks, for some reason, he was top of mind. Really solid front man, front court man, I should say, for the Tar Heels. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And of course, make sure to go follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. yet again happy february did you say rabbit rabbit today as we are recording on the first of february are you a rabbit rabbit guy it is the year of the rabbit according to the uh, lunar new year the chinese new year right i i did not so thank you for reminding me to do that here is it is it too late Can, i think I so i think it's okay. supposed to be literally the first thing you say when you wake up well <laughs> shit <laughs> that's that's all i have to say shit that's all right. That's all right. Well, we are here in February, Taylor. We got a lot to get to. And I know I've been harping the last couple of weeks on not making broad sweeping generalizations about teams when they go through uh, maybe a losing streak, or if you identify some flaws in their game, it's not everlasting. That being said, when the calendar flips to February, T, you got to be playing your best ball, especially as we approach Valentine's Day. You really only have about this week's slate of games to get all the ugliness out before people are going to start pegging you and judging you. Because if, if come Valentine's day and post Valentine's day, you're losing three, four straight March is right there. And you're not going to be gaining a lot of confidence, not only within your team, but for the folks picking you in their bracket, which shouldn't really matter. But I just want to make sure the, the audience knows that 
I'm about to start pivoting and and making some assumptions, generalizations, because it's almost time to start picking some winners. February is a great month for me, um, not just basketball related, but you know we got Phoenix Open, Super Bowl, spring training all starting up here uh, in Scottsdale uh, next week. So that's big. That's big for me. But yeah, you're totally correct. Um, you know, we're only, like I said on the last program, we're only five weeks away essentially from Selection Sunday at this point, which means like at most each team has about 10 games, including their conference tournament left. A couple will stretch it out further because they'll go to their conference championship game, of course. But yeah, I mean, it's we're two thirds of the way into the season, no matter how you want to look at it, it. Teams are going to start to be, are going to start to be, you know, who they are, right? Like if, if they haven't figured it out at this point, you can't sit there and be like, oh, they're definitely going to figure it out over the last six to eight games. Like it's kind of uh, we are who they thought they were type of situation. And there's some teams that struggled over the last couple of weeks that have figured it out. But boy, we've all been through this as college basketball fans. There's going to be a team, whether it's Arizona, whether it's a Tennessee, like potentially we saw uh, last night. Um, it's going to be someone where that loses two or three straight and goes, oh, shit, it's February. And like we only have a couple of weeks to figure this out. I don't know who those teams are going to be necessarily, but it, you know that there's going to be one of these teams that's that their fan base is going to be like, this is not the time to <laughs> to go through this type of, uh, of uh, learning curve, let's call it. Yeah, that's a great point. I think there are some teams that I've identified that are really dominant or have been dominant, but right now they've been dominant throughout the course of the year. Purdue, you got nothing to worry about if you go through a dry spell. Alabama, I don't think you have much to worry about if you go through a dry spell here in uh, February. Same thing with Arizona, same thing with Tennessee, uh, and we'll get to a couple of these, these items, but there's some teams like a Wake Forest or Wisconsin or let's say – uh, even a Yukon, right? Where you're saying to yourself, okay, we don't really have a ton of room for error. Yukon's going to make the tournament. Duke's going to make the tournament. But if you're actually thinking about seeds, you got to win pretty much uh, 90, 85, 90% of these games here in February. And so it's important for teams like that. And, and, and what makes the bracket and the tournament so crazy amongst all of the different reasons that folks have is while I say all of this, while we, start to assign grades to some different teams and how we project them to go forward, right? You look at last year and you say, well, North Carolina was terrible and they were within a shot of forcing overtime against, though, if I were to push back, the team that I think a lot of people said they're the national title champions and they're the best team. So it's got to be a lot of fun. Taylor, let's dive in now to the playbill, though. We're recording here. Wednesday night after uh, a decent slate of games. I think the two biggest ones that we want to talk about real quick, as we also want to discuss about Tuesday's results, but Xavier Providence went to overtime that, that rivalry, I guess that matchup is yielding a lot of fun results. Thoughts from Cincinnati there. Great response uh, from Xavier, you know, learning that uh, Fremantle is going to be out for a month, obviously a huge deal there. Uh, and you never really know how a team's going to respond. There's, you know, essentially one of their is Fremantle there. What are we ranking them? Their third best player, second. For I mean, it really kind of depends on the day. Uh, I'd say know, second. Right yeah, I think he's uh, a little bit more consistent than what Nanji or Sully Boom or you know, I mean, I got put Boom one, but yeah, right, exactly, right, yeah, he's there. So, right, he's obviously one of the 
the key players on that team, one of the two or three key players on that team. So great response from them because it, 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 speaking of learning curves, it, it might take a game or two or three to figure out how you're going to play without one of your best players, especially a big like that. And uh, they had a great response tonight. I know it was at home um, and the, the stretched uh, run there was two back-to-back threes by either team to kind of go to overtime there. Uh, Providence, as we uh, noted on this program before, has been a very welcome surprise this year. Um, they weren't exactly expected to be very good, but, you know, they're taking the number 15, 16 team in the country on the road to overtime. They're ranked 17th, I believe, themselves. Uh, so I, my takeaway is that both of these teams, which weren't expected to be as good as they are, are as good as anybody, really. I mean, outside of maybe like the top five, top four, the, either of these teams could go as far as they want. And I, I hope for Xavier that Fremantle being hurt is actually, if they can keep up this type of performance, is actually maybe one of those blessing in disguise type of deals where the guy gets a month off. Obviously, he's not playing ball during that month, but it's like, hey, you got a guy like Fremantle who's, who's a phenomenal player, and Sean Miller can go to him and be like, dude, you're rested. We need literally seven games from you. Eight games, maybe, you know, to get to like the final four, essentially at that point by the time he comes back. So get a game or two, hopefully, under his belt during the regular season couple uh, conference tournament games and then into the uh, big dance. But I, I hope I personally am rooting for that to happen for Xavier. Uh, I, I think it could be a blessing in disguise type of situation. When I first saw the injury to Fremantle, I immediately thought, okay, this timetable stacks up with him being back for MSG in the big East tournament, which is perfect for Xavier. And obviously you want to think about the kid. You want to make sure Fremantle's healthy, but the fact that they were able to gut this out, albeit at home uh, in overtime without Fremantle speaks volumes of them. But I also do think it speaks volumes of Providence. I don't, this is one of those games where it's kind of a win-win in terms of how I view these guys moving forward. Right? So Xavier is able to get it done shorthanded, but Providence, after being smacked in the mouth early, I think they were down by as many as 15, just battled, scrapped, ended up taking the lead, pushing overtime. And it's just a testament to Cooley and the Providence Friars, a testament to a guy like Devin Carter, Jared Bynum, Bryce Hopkins. These guys are just cut from the Providence cloth. And I think I said about a month ago when we were hyping up Providence, basically saying that Ed Cooley has this list of requirements that you have to meet if you are going to be a successful Providence College Friar. And it seems like every single year they have those guys that do it. So I was impressed that Providence was able to to push these guys in a hostile environment, a good team. I don't really see much movement from either of them. Maybe Xavier jumps them a spot. Maybe Providence moves back. I don't know. Providence is off for the week. They got Georgetown next, which will be a, a very nice way of easing back into things. And then I think they look down the road to UConn. But I was really impressed with the the tenacity, the fortitude of Providence, because I'm telling you, man, it seems like for the past two, two and a half years, Providence just does not get blown out. And that makes you a dangerous team in the tournament. Well, to your point, uh, Xavier hit the first bucket of the second half to go up six, and that was the largest lead that either team had the entire second half. It was, I think, Xavier late had a five-point lead again. But other than that, it was, it was punch for punch there, all the way down the stretch into overtime. So you're completely right. Providence is in every game, even if they start off slow like they did on this one. 
We've seen it before. We've definitely seen it before. All right, Taylor, another result that occurred Wednesday night. The number two team in the country, Vols. They go down to Florida. They are, in my estimation, 0-2 against their biggest rivals this year. They've lost to Kentucky at home, went on the road with a lackluster performance against Florida. I think they only had 21 points in the first half, and that is the biggest bugaboo for Rick Barnes and the Volunteers. I can already see myself when I'm filling out the bracket manually with a pen in my hand, I'm going to be trembling. I'm going to be trembling, heart racing. It's like that deeds poem, hands sweating. I'm, I'm just terrified, okay? Because I want to take them super far. But in the back of my mind, maybe even in the front of my mind, and even in the middle of my mind, that offense is going to be so prevalent and it's going to worry me and it's going to trouble me. And it came back to bite them today. Again, I think Tennessee has shown so much dominance this year. And Florida, I don't know if they're necessarily a quality opponent, but this could have been a trap game if you want to label it as such. But the Vols, that's the one thing. And 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 no one's saying like they're consistently bad on offense. That, e that might make it even more dangerous for folks like us that pick these, these games, Taylor, because I'm over here sitting – well, what, what Tennessee offense am I getting? What Vescovy am I getting? What Ziegler am I getting? So uh, Vols go down against Florida. And the only other thing that's a little worrisome, the two teams that I know that you know for a fact are getting up for the Vols, Kentucky and Florida, biggest rivals, 0-2. I don't know if that says anything. Taylor, any thoughts from Vols, Florida? Yes, let me, let me just say this out loud. Josiah. Hey, he got it. I just wanted to just say that out loud. That's your boy. Well start, done. Yeah, go on, before I dive into just calling him Triple J uh, or J cubed. But um, yeah, he was just two of 11. Vescovy was two of 12. Ziegler was six of 19. I, you can't have, there's no way you're, you're going to go with all your best players, you know, playing like that, shooting like that. They only shot 28% from the floor. Uh, you know, I mean, Florida's, we're not talking about like the sisters of the poor here. Like Florida is a, a fine team this year and they're always good. Florida's always good at least at, at minimum, but that's the problem with Tennessee. And you know, you hate, like you're saying, you hate to just continue to talk about the same thing with Tennessee, but it's essentially the only thing to talk about with Tennessee. Every part of them is good. It's great. It's elite. Their defense is an all decade type of defense, right? But they have, about once every, if you kind of look at their schedule and just kind of start walking it back, you've got about a one every five to seven games. They just have a putrid offensive performance. Well, how many games does it take to win a national championship? Six. So, right? Six? Yeah, six. So where does that bad game fall in, in there? Right. Like I, and you're only playing the best competition. Right. So you could, you could say, Oh, well, we only had bad offensive games against like Kentucky, Arizona. Well, actually they played fine against Arizona, but you know, we only really had bad offensive performances against good teams. Well, that's what you're going to get in the tournament is good teams, you know, maybe outside of the first round, maybe two. So that's, you're totally right. That's my fear with them is, is, where in this cycle of one every seven games or so are we going to align where the bad offensive game comes up? Like if it's, if that bad offensive game happens in the sec championship game, then I'm like, huh? Okay. Maybe they'll win the title. We can, 
maybe we can run six off here. But if they have like a shitty offensive game to close out the regular season against uh, against Auburn to at Auburn, a perfect situation of a bad offensive game. And you're like, and then it's like, huh, let's count seven games out. Ooh, that's like the sweet 16. Ooh, that gets, that gets tough. So I'm not saying that like, there's obviously no science to this. I'm just saying if you kind of just walk back their schedule, that's kind of what it looks like. It's kind of a once every, you know, third week type of deal. And I hope it doesn't rear its head during the tournament like this. Incredible. The description, because I'm walking a fine line here. I'm tight roping, but it just depends on when Tennessee's time of the month is. If that, if you really want to dive into it. So, uh, but hey, how about this? Todd Golden, first signature, biggest win at Florida. I think a lot of people forgot that Todd Golden's down there in Gainesville, and he's he's struggled a bit, uh, especially with Castleton coming back. I think uh, some folks expected them to be slightly better, but this is a huge win. And for a team like Florida, you flip the calendar, you start it with a win against number two ranked Tennessee at home. Why can't, why, why not just try and go for a run here in, in February? Why not take that goodwill and that momentum and maybe sneak in as an at large or get to the uh, sec title game? Let's see what happens with Todd golden in Florida. Um, let's stay in the SEC here, T, and rewind it back to Tuesday night. Alabama beat the absolute hell, H-A-Y-L, hell, out of Vanderbilt, man. 101-44. to And I'm glad they put on this performance because it shut down any sort of impending conversation about, well, what's wrong with Bama? They're on a two-game losing streak. They've lost to Vanderbilt. And then prior to that, they lost to Oklahoma. Shut it all down, man, <laughs> with it, a resounding performance and a tail whooping that we haven't seen in quite some time. Taylor, let me get your thoughts before I share really only one that I had from, from this game. Go ahead. I think my biggest takeaway from this game was Alabama got it from everywhere. It wasn't just like a dominant performance by, um, you know, by like a Miller or uh, any guys on the team like yeah Miller had 22 don't get me wrong but their next highest score was 16 then 12 11 10 so they kind of got it from everywhere really showed their depth it's easy to show your depth when you're up 35 fucking points and you can literally play anybody so don't get me wrong I understand there's a factor in there it, it, but if you look like Quinterly only had three points so um and Bradley and you know Clowney two of their starters only had six points each so uh, that's kind of what it opened my eyes a little bit to maybe Alabama having um, or really showcasing the depth that they had uh, only one Vanderbilt player in double figures. And that was uh, 10 points. So, oh gosh. I, I mean, the line on that game, I was a little worried about it because the line on the game was like 15, a pretty, a pretty decent size line. Um, and so I was like, well, you know, Alabama did just lose, May, you know, maybe they come out a little slow. Nope. Uh, Vanderbilt didn't score for like 10 minutes. They, they went up five to nothing and then like didn't score for like 10 minutes after that. So that game was over. The game looked like the net Celtics game that was on, uh, last night or as we're recording, uh, where it was like 44 to 10, like, you know, I mean, it kind of had that same feeling where it's like, Oh, this one's like over right now. Yeah. This, this game was, I could, it's one of those. It's one of those games, first of all, you can hear me, I'm like speechless, but it's one of those 
ass whoopings where you can actually visualize the the team mascots fighting like i can visualize commodores standing in the way of this stampeding bunch of elephants and they just get trampled like that's literally what happened that's that's what i'm visualizing i need to start looking at some some ass whoopings or even close games and identifying the the mascots between the two teams and seeing if there's some actual reality to that situation that's what i envisioned um so Good for Bama, but Taylor, I actually want to talk a little bit about Vanderbilt. And we opened the season on the podcast talking about how Cal Berkeley needs to get better and be more serious about their sports because their football program is pretty terrible and their basketball program. They just lost by like 30 to Stanford, I think, who is not a very good team whatsoever. We may need to have the same discussion for Vanderbilt, man. Because their football program hasn't been great recently. I think they got one win on the road against Kentucky uh, in, in football this past year. You know, go for, go wild, go crazy, enjoy it. But Jerry Stackhouse and, and, the, and the Commodores are not good in basketball. I think this is his fourth season. I think a lot of people are waiting or have been waiting for him to make the turn. And instead, he's just been a little underwhelming to be honest with you. And I love Stackhouse. This kind of goes under the the criticism and, and the feedback and my thoughts on Patrick Ewing. It sucks having to criticize a legend like Patrick Ewing, who was amazing at Georgetown. It's not fun criticizing a guy like Jerry Stackhouse, who was awesome at North Carolina, who was an integral part of some of the most fun NBA teams that we watched, like the Pistons, like the Wizards. And he's actually a prime candidate for, I think it's LeJethro Jenkins, who does Y'all Must Have Forgot About. I think people forgot about how great Jerry Stackhouse was on the court. But right now, it just ain't working. And I feel for Vandy Hoops, because there was a time where they were actually pretty damn good. Maybe not elite, but pretty damn good. And it was the pre-Kevin Stallings era. I'm blanking on who their coach was at that point. But when they went to Kevin Stallings, they nosedived. And then Jerry Stackhouse has not been able to turn it around. Do you foresee Stackhouse sticking around there in the next year or two? I mean, he can't, right? Like he can't go, can't be. This I guy. don't, but, but see, <laughs> like this, this goes to my, like, I would say yeah. the same thing about okay, Mark Fox. Sure. There's sure, so sure, much sure. indifference with these universities. Sure. I'll, I'll give you that. I, I will tell you what their biggest problem is though. It's, I don't think it's that hard to figure out. It's that they play in the dumbest college basketball arena in D1 athletics. I don't think I, I'm going out on a limb to say that this is part of the problem. The, the benches are behind the basket. The floor is elevated. It makes no sense. This whole, I hate watching games there uh, on TV. Obviously, I've never been there in person. So maybe that's the problem. Maybe we need to get rid of uh, Memorial. And it's just called Memorial Gymnasium, too. So we're not even talking about like a cool name here. So I'm thinking that's the problem. But no, you're, you're right. They got all the money in the world. Um, just like Cal has, you know, a, you know, a lot of, of funding to work with. I, I think it's time to tank or, uh, to get uh, Stackhouse out of there. And it's simply because you can't do any worse at this point. You just lost by six, 57 points. <laughs> yeah. So real, real it's, quick, it's, it's time. Yeah, I agree. Real quick. I want to make a note. I always confuse where Kevin Stallings was bad. He was bad at Pitt. 
Okay. He was actually really, really good at Vanderbilt. So apologies to any, any anchor downers what, what out there. Are we forgetting? Actually, was I was going to ask you that. No, no, no. It wasn't pre-stalling. Oh, pre-stallings was Jan van Bredekolf from 93 to 99. Stallings was from 99 to 2016. So he was awesome at Vanderbilt, yeah, but I think sure. he kind of mailed it in at Pittsburgh. So I apologize to Kevin Stallings. Terrific run at Vandy. But who succeeded Stallings? He actually currently lives in your state and in your city or a neighboring city. Uh, Bryce Drew. Bingo. I forgot Bryce Drew was at Vandy. So it went Stallings. Current coach of Grand Canyon University. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. So he Stallings goes to Pitt. Doesn't do well there, but Bryce Drew takes over. Not great. And then Stackhouse as well. I, I don't know. I just wanted to open that up because I see a lot of corollaries. If I'm given, if I'm given a hard time to Cal, I got to do this exact same thing with Vanderbilt. Yeah. And, and you could actually compare the two schools really in terms of, you know, where they're, you know, academics and how much they'd care or don't care about sports. So yeah, I think that's an apt comparison. Yeah. Hey Taylor, let's head to the big 12. Now Kansas handles Kansas state, not broadcast nationally. I don't know what the hell we're doing. Only college basketball and maybe baseball, actually. Baseball does this as well. Did you see Chaz, Jazz Chisholm is on uh, the cover of the video game? I think MLB 2K or one of the MLB video games. And everyone's like, yeah, but is Jazz, is Jazz Chisholm really like, is he really the best candidate? Yes, dude. He's fun as hell. He's the only Marlin I know. So I look at it and you're like, market your most fun players. Market Shohei Otani. Get them live and in front of everyone's faces. And here we are with college basketball constantly fighting with NFL postseason, constantly fighting with the NBA. And we have a rivalry game, two top 10 teams between Kansas and Kansas state, but we have to defer to Duke and wake forest on ESPN and Kansas, Kansas state, which also had Travis Kelsey in the building uh, on ESPN plus. So to be honest with you, I wasn't able to watch this game. Kansas now has rebounded incredibly well from their three game losing streak. They go on the road to Kentucky, get a, relatively convincing win and then at home against a top five team in Kansas state, get a very convincing win. Taylor, were you able to get eyes on this or did you have any takeaways from this, uh, from the sunflower showdown? So I want to actually give a shout out to the draft sports, uh, bar and grill where I go to bar trivia on Tuesday nights. They Where's had that it at? on in, Where's that uh, at? in Chandler. Okay. Chandler, Good for them. Chandler, Mesa, Tempe-ish border off this off the 60, uh, for those familiar with, with the area. So yeah, I walked in and they had Duke and Wake on a bunch of TVs. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know, Suns were on. And then I looked to my right and I was like, oh shit, they got the Kansas K-State game on. That's well, impressive. What do, what do we always say about bar TVs? Dude, it's I I I that's why I'm shouting this place out. They're they're good. They're very good. And you don't even have to ask him, you know, hey, can you put the K-State Kansas game on? Like knowing that they had to go to eat, they had to specifically go to that game because it was an ESPN plus game. So shout out to them on that. And then whenever you ask them to to change a channel, they don't even need, hey, can we get can we get Pitt North Carolina on? 
Yeah, no problem. They don't have to, oh, what channel is that on? What cable package do you have? Whatever, all the same dumb shit we talk about constantly. Like, oh, well, what channel is ESPN? I don't know, bitch. This, I don't know what your cable package is. Like, what do you, what do you want me to do about this? So um, anyway, not that I feel passionately about that type of stuff. I, I, um, I just just real quick want to confirm that. So in, in nine out of 10 bars, Taylor and I walk into something from the chive or the onion will be playing. But oh. these guys had Kansas, Kansas State. So I'm very thrilled for you, man. Really, I am. And, and listen, they do have like three or four TVs that have that same chive like rotation on too. But my, I just enjoy that it's not dominating. It's just like every one corner TV has uh, has like the chive bullshit going on, which is fine. I, I, I'm okay with that. Just give me all the sports <laughs> that are relevant as well as that, you know. So, yeah, God, I can't just can't ever get over when the the waiter or the bartender is like, oh, ESPN. Yeah. Do you know what channel that is? Like, I well, I no, I don't know what channel it is. Do you have DirecTV? Do you have Dish? Do you have? Yeah. Right. So it's my favorite. It's my favorite one. Anyway, K-State, Kansas. Um, it unfortunately, because I took K-State as one of my bets and was quite honestly just rooting for K-State just as a general sense. Um they traded buckets for about the first four or five minutes of the game. Kansas kind of hit them with a punch, went on a run, not a big run, just enough of a run to separate themselves. And they never really, the game was essentially an eight point game, the whole game. Uh, and so I kind of knew sometimes Sub, I know you're not a sports better, but for me, I was needing seven and a half. I think it was. And when they punched it out to eight and just kept it there, it just had that, you just have that feeling in your, in your stomach where you're like, shit, they're definitely going to cover, you, you know? And so it's like, I might as well start putting other bets in because they're definitely going to cover. Um, to me, it just struck uh, like every Kansas game ever when they play a big opponent and they need a win. And we've talked about this, just like we talked about the sports bar thing a lot. We've also talked about this where Kansas just wins these games. You know, they had a, like, like we said, they they tripped up a couple, you know, week and a half, two weeks ago. But these are the games that Kansas wins at Fog Allen for the last 60, 70 years. Um, it, it struck me exactly as that. I know that's not a hard-hitting take, but that's exactly how it felt, where, you know, they locked down K-State. They only shot 34% from the field. They out-rebounded them. They turned them over. They shot better from three. I mean, they, they, they outplay Kansas State in every uh, capacity that you could. So... To me, it goes to exactly what we were talking about Kansas the other day is this is a team that is a national title. Wouldn't be surprised if they were favorite by the time that we get to the tournament. And even if, you know, we talked about the the other half of it, where if they did lose a game or two down the stretch, they could fall as far as a three seed. Um, I think maybe that's already gone, even just in two days, that that's probably out. If they would have lost this game, that would have been as the discussion. But this struck me as a normal Kansas game at Fog Allen that they needed as the calendar turns to February. And I was uh, actually a little surprised. Bill Self and the, and the team had a had a bit of a celebration in the locker room uh, afterwards. I don't know if you caught that video. It wasn't like a big, wasn't like a crazy like Roy Williams uh, meme uh, that we see, you know, them walking into the locker room back in the day. But, um, but yeah, there was a little, you could tell there was a little more juice to this win for Kansas than maybe the normal. They probably are saying to themselves, all right, now is when we have to kick it into gear, right? You enter the season, you do your October through January sort of cruise control. They had a little bit of a blip, 
But now they're saying, okay, it's February, and then we're going to be in March where we have to be playing perfectly. We can't – once postseason play comes, right, Kansas is a team that wants to win Big 12 conference titles, tournament titles. They're a team that wants to win Final Fours and national titles, of course, uh, and they're expected to. So I wouldn't be surprised if they understand that things are going to start revving up here very shortly. I think for this game, Kansas, I, I could have told you about a month ago where and when Kansas State was the hottest team in the country that they were going to lose this game. As an upstart, you're not going to beat Kansas Kansas in, in Lawrence. And the fact that they were able to beat them in Manhattan, which was probably off of great execution, great teamwork, pure adrenaline, it just was never going to happen in Lawrence. And so I don't think Kansas State needs to be concerned or upset about that a split is pretty much what you should be reasonably looking for in this rivalry especially in year one of the tang era so i could have told you this was going to be bad for kansas state but they were playing with house money against kansas they're doing they're doing just fine go ahead did you see what tang said about the rivalry was this a couple weeks ago I, I may have been but yeah i i, I can't remember but i it just got brought back up again i, I don't know if he said it in reference to this game or the last one when it was when he was talking about the um oh yeah i think night before 1987 like k-state had like more conference titles and like final fours and stuff and what i hadn't and, heard that yeah and it was like no no man uh <laughs> kansas has like quintupled the amount of conference titles that you have uh even before 1987 uh so i'm not sure where like these guys are the winningest basketball program of all time um oh actually sorry i gotta i gotta digress here speak because we already talked about bar trivia i have to uh, since 2023 year of accountability as they all are i got a college basketball question wrong at bar trivia last night oh well first of all very disappointed second of all was it a real college basketball question or was it, it like was, and and it's and it's which like when i when program, i say unreal when i, I say it. unreal i mean like how many what? How many? How many logos were on the court of this 2015 NCAA tournament game? Uh, yeah, what was well, the, what is the net? What is the net made out of? Yeah, stupid shit like that. Um, the question was, which college basketball program has the most wins all time? Mm, is that and the reason I got not... it wrong is because it has flipped since in the last like the 35 basketball games. Is it not Kentucky? It's Kansas now. It's Kansas, but it was By Kentucky. Six games. It was Kentucky. So Kansas okay. is now six games out ahead of, of Kentucky. And if you look at Kentucky's year this year and then how far Kansas went in the tournament last year, that was the trade-off. So I was oh, very – so all, all my people looked at me and they were like, okay, Taylor, college basketball podcast, uh, what is it? And I'm like, well, it's Kentucky. That would that, that was the first one that came to my mind. Well, because when we did the college basketball manifesto two years ago, mm -hmm. it was Kentucky, right? So this is only subsequently uh, or has subsequently flipped just in the last, you know, 35 games. Unfortunately, my trivia team didn't care that it had flipped in the last uh, 30 games. Or it's so. a zero sum so. game. It's a zero sum game, man. <laughs> so I apologize for going out on a or on a tangent there, but I just had to say, you know, like I said, 2023 year of accountability. I would have hidden that deep deep somewhere because 
Although, you know what? You probably already suffered enough embarrassment where everyone's like, you're supposed to be the expert. And that is actually a valid, fair CBB question. And you come up short. That's all right, though. It's, well, it's tough. The to, rest of my team to wanted up, to vote UCLA. I'm like, no, they're not even close. They're like four or no. 500 games back. And they're like, no, that yeah. can't be. I'm like, guys, shut the fuck up and let me think. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely not them. Um, all right. Staying in the Big 12 now. TCU escaping West Virginia. The only thing I got from this game, Taylor, is that TCU absolutely positively 100% needs Mike Miles and Eddie Lampkin at full health and full strength. They need them good to go, no limitations, because I think Lampkin, was he, he played, and he's a tough son of a bitch, but he, he was limited. I'm pretty sure he's coming off of an injury as well. There was no Mike Miles, and we saw them lose to Northwestern State earlier this year. Uh, that was also without Damian Baugh, but those two guys are so remarkably important to TCU's success. And that's not a knock on TCU. It's not a knock on Jamie Dixon ad adjustments. It's not a knock on their bench. It's not a knock on their role players. They're just that good. Mike Miles is a big 12 player of the year candidate. He's one of the best guards in the entire country. Eddie Lampkin, he can get you a double-double. So these guys are so crucial to them. And you can make the argument that West Virginia is riding high over a win against Auburn, so they're going to come into Fort Worth and play well. But I was expecting TCU to kind of handle their business. And the absence of Mike Miles, it's been two bad games because they did play who, – who did they who did they lose to in the SEC Challenge over the weekend where my, Mississippi State, who they would mop. They would mop if Mike – or Mike was uh, healthy for the entire game. So they've essentially gone two games without him and have played two poor performances, which is not shocking, but I'm just really fingers crossed that he becomes healthy for them and Eddie Lampkin's healthy because this team is dangerous. And we talk about a team like Purdue, who should be the consensus number one overall seed. But when you look at brackets, if I were to look at Purdue and TCU in a Sweet 16 matchup, with a healthy Mike Miles and a healthy Addie Lampkin, I might lean TCU, honestly. Um, so that was my biggest takeaway from TCU escaping West Virginia, who, by the way, still stinks. Uh, I'm not sure about the Bedlam score, but Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, they don't move me either. I don't care that Oklahoma smashed Alabama. So Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas Tech, OK State, those four teams, I know we love the Big 12, those four teams stink. Uh, but that's what I took away mostly was TCU needs those guys healthy. Totally. I, I'm a little more impressed in, with TCU than maybe uh, you potentially were with this game. I mean, to win a game without two of your three best players, it, I mean, Lampkin played seven minutes or something like that, which I'm even impressed that he played because when that he first got hurt, it kind of sounded like he might be out for a super extended period of time. Um, West Virginia is weird because – they're two and seven in conference and they're like 13 and nine overall, but they're still top 25 in Ken Palm, which is interesting. I, I really I, don't give a shit about Ken Palm. Anymore, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know. I'm just saying that like the, the metrics show that they might be better than what they are. I don't think they're good. I just think it's an interesting uh, discussion point. Um, but yeah, TCU is looking to me as exactly what you just said, a team that I would love to pick deep in the tournament and it's not just because they have a guy it's because they have multiple guys i mean they proved it last year how tough this team can be in the tournament and i would love 
and I mean love a Lampkin Edie matchups. If you're talking about that, uh, this this hypothetical matchup that we're talking about here, uh, that would be talk about theater and college hoops. That would be Ooh. like the definition of two yeah. just exact opposite, uh, you know, cast or cast of players there, you know, <laughs> the tall seven foot four guy against a guy named Eddie Lumpkin Jr., you know, Eddie Lampkin. So, um, yeah, what a matchup that would be. But I love this TCU team. I really do. Uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. Mike Miles is awesome. Uh, you know, Damian Baugh is great. Eddie Lampkin Jr., still just a sophomore, just a kid, Sue. He's just a kid still. And so um, I think they can go – yeah, they, I – I, I know that I'm going to take them too far in the tournament. I know that. I, I, I've already self-admitted. I've come to grips with I know that they're going to lose before uh, I have them losing in my bracket. Yeah. Look, I, I don't want to downplay what TCU did against West Virginia and their performance. I was impressed as well. But if I need to start looking at dangerous, deep-run teams getting to a Final Four, getting to Elite Eight – that's where I start to bring up the injuries, and that's where I start to say, well, if they're in this Sweet 16 matchup against Purdue without Mike Miles, I'm taking Purdue easy, no problem. With Mike Miles healthy, with Eddie Lampkin healthy, that's when I brew some coffee, get in the lab, lock the door, tell tell everyone not to disturb me, no knocks, no calls, and that's when I really break down the film. So. Uh, TCU escaping West Virginia. Taylor, we're going to kick it now to the Big Ten. Maryland. Hey, the Terps. Remember, folks, they were a top 25 team one year. This isn't me buying them. I don't think they're that great. I don't think they're that bad either because I think, what, they're they're 15 and 7 right now. But Maryland with a big win at home against a red-hot Indiana Hoosiers team, uh, they have an opportunity in the back half of of this season, Taylor, to maybe push, make a push. We talked about Florida getting some momentum going for uh, a run. I don't know if I see it necessarily, but the opportunity is there for Florida. It's very much there for Maryland. Did you have any takeaways from uh, the Terps' big win against the uh, the Hoosiers? Well, yeah, as long as they play every game at home, they'll be good. They're 12 and one at home and like three and six on the road, I think. So, um, yeah, if they can play every game at home, then they'll be golden. Uh, I do want to shout out if I, I highly doubt there are that many listeners that follow Maryland's basketball Twitter account, but shout out to their Twitter account for as their last three wins are against Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Indiana. They said, All we've done last week is they used the Wisconsin logo, then the Indiana logo, and the Nebraska logo, which spells out win. So, shout out to them on that and really not to go i really don't have any more thoughts other than what my initial thought is is like yeah this indiana or this i mean (laughs) indiana's kind of the same way if these teams can play all their games at home then they're awesome if they're on the road then they're not Uh, also it's dangerous to play games at indiana because they have metal uh bars falling off of their uh their video board why is there always something falling out of the roof uh at assembly hall have you noticed this is, like their roof fell a couple of years ago yeah. this has they happening. need some sort of renovations this place is a dump apparently yeah um but yeah no maryland great team at home 
I'm just not sure. I mean, exact, it, they didn't exactly light the world on fire offensively, though, Maryland. I think they only shot like 30% from the field. They didn't turn the ball over, which was really kind of the key to this game. They only had like five turnovers. Um, that's, I think, going to be a little bit more of a rarity. That's an extremely low amount of turnovers, obviously. So, my, yeah, my takeaway is just that. Great home yeah. team. That's about all I think about them, though. So I agree with that. Again, they're a lukewarm team, but a lot of folks left them for dead, not even close to the tournament. They're not in as of yet, and they are only good at home. But if there was a schedule that would be conducive, and if you can sort of warp your brain into thinking that, hey, you know what? Maybe the maybe the Turtles can make a push here. Listen and hear me out. They're at Minnesota uh, this upcoming Saturday. I know it's Maryland, but that should be a win. Okay, that should be a win at Minnesota. At Michigan State, that's a probable loss. At home against Penn State, you're at home. Penn State's pretty decent, but that's a winnable game. Okay, so that's two right there. At home against Purdue. At home, anything can happen. Probably going to lose that game, though, so I'm not going to give it to you. Then you travel to Nebraska, all right? That should be a winnable game. That's three wins. Then you host Minnesota and Northwestern. Northwestern's not bad, but again, these aren't like cream of the crop big 10 teams you've gotten that out of the way then you travel to ohio state whose wheels have completely fallen off and that's on march 1st maybe you get an ohio state team that has pretty much nothing to play for before the big 10 tournament there's an opportunity there and then they end it in happy valley against penn state which again they're not elite so maryland you just they it, I could absolutely see them losing to Minnesota is what I'm saying on the road, but they have the talent. They have the wherewithal to really make a run here uh, in the, in the second half of the season. It's the opportunities there for them. The opportunity is there for wake forest. I want to see how they, how they take advantage of it. Taylor uh, let's go out West Nevada beats San Diego state. I just want to give a quick shout out to Steve Alford. I think a lot of people don't value him as a pretty solid head coach. He had some down years at UCLA, maybe not reaching the level that Bruins fans expect, but he was really good at New Mexico. He's been pretty damn solid at Nevada. And Jared Lucas, good for him. He's coming from Oregon State. Who's, he's played in an Elite Eight, but coming from Oregon State to Nevada and making a serious impact. Taylor, is there another player in the Mountain West who's very notable that came from a terrible Pac-12 school? to a Mountain West school and made an impact. Can you name that person? Because that's all I'm thinking of. Like current, you mean? Yeah. I mean, he did it last year is what I'm saying. So Jared Lucas fo followed this prototype. Who am I missing here? Matt Bradley coming from Cal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Making an yeah. impact at yeah. SDSU. Those were a couple of my takeaways there from this game. Uh, how about Nevada beating SDSU kiss a titch. We talked about them being back in the top 25, probably going to tumble out. Yeah, they've fallen. They're no longer 23rd uh, in Ken Palm, in case you were wondering. So um, these are the type of games that I live for, like the midnight West Coast uh, game that comes down. It didn't come down to the wire, but it was a good game. Um, I'll, you, you bring up a great point with Alfred, because even for a second, I've watched maybe a handful of Nevada games this year. And each time, even I forget that that Alfred's back there. This dude just belongs in the Mountain West, really. Whether it's just, you know New Mexico, Nevada, one of these kind of like directional. I guess Nevada's not directional, but you know what I mean. Where it's just like the 
the second level of, of college basketball programs that are still considered to be good programs. But Nevada is sneaky. Uh, Lunardi has them in right now uh, to the tournament. And, you know, talk about schedules. Uh, you know, you got to win your home games, as we just talked about there. They have Air Force, and then go. they go to at New Mexico uh, next week. That could be a very, very, very big game. You know, now they're only one. Nevada's only one back of uh, San Diego State and Boise State for the lead in the Mountain West. As we know, the conference that has the best seat is the, is the Mountain West. Um, and then after that, I mean, they, they still have to play Fresno State twice. Should be uh, should be pretty simple wins there. You know, you've got about maybe four or five wins left on the on the calendar that are that are for sure's. You go at Wyoming. Uh, that could be a tough one, uh, even though Wyoming's having a down year. Their biggest, their two biggest games left are in the next, two, you know, week and a half, and that's uh, at New Mexico and at Utah State. If they even just split one of those games, they're going to be right there, all the way down to their final game against UNLV on March fourth, uh, right there for the Mountain West title. So, yeah. um, and if and why I bring up their schedule too is um, they have already had both games with Boise State so far they split with boise state so you're talking about the best team arguably in the conference they're done with them and then san diego state they split with san diego state too so they're they've already played the two best teams in the conference which is an attractive thing as you go down the stretch have already gotten those games out of the way yeah you talk about unlv they actually had a really good win against colorado state tough environment they were only favored by one and a half but they came out blazing and put their foot down. And I would love to see both of these teams. If I had to choose, I'd rather see UNLV in the tournament because I want to harken back to those glory days of the running rebels. And I really like Kevin Kruger and what he's been doing there at UNLV, but Nevada, they just keep, they just keep coming back and they keep reloading. They lose a guy like Grant Sherfield. They replace him with a Jared Lucas and on goes, on goes the wheel there at Nevada. Doesn't it always feel like we're missing one more basketball power uh, like in the Western half of the country? It never seems like they're all good at the same time, right? Like Arizona, Oregon, Gonzaga, UCLA are kind of been the top dogs as of late. UCLA is great this year. Gonzaga's having a down year. Arizona's great this year. Oregon's having a down year. San Diego State's really good. Well, they're okay. You know, I mean, we need like a UNLV – yeah to like really cement themselves as back as another power where it's just someone other than ucla arizona and gonzaga uh, and i always feel like that with unlv is like the would be my choice if i was to pick one where it was like okay who do i want to be good it, it's because it's like a good enough rivalry given their history with all these other west coast schools i just wish we had one more and unlv is the one i always wish it would be and it's Vegas, man. And it's Vegas. I want all Vegas teams to be good. I want the historical Raiders to be good. I want I want the Rebs to be good. Just it's more fun when Vegas is good. But this is a podcast that needs to promote, and we're absolutely promoting the great job that Steve Alford has done. Coming from two 100%. guys, coming from two guys that uh, were pretty critical of Steve Alford during his UCLA years because we were going to school during that time. But Steve Alford's doing a really nice job. And it's funny. You said he's he's, he's meant for Mountain West basketball, New Mexico and, and Nevada. It's so funny because everyone was clamoring that he needs to take the Indiana job, bring the hometown kid and the hometown hero, the school hero back. 
And he, it just never aligned. And I think Steve Alford's okay with that. I think he's absolutely come to peace in terms with that. He's been able to coach a blue blood at UCLA. And now he's doing really nice things at uh, Nevada. Real quick before we move on. Yeah, it kind of reminds me almost of Sean Miller in, in a way because they both coached and they were their kind of a heated rivalry. They hated each other at Arizona and UCLA. They kind of had their runs for – not quite a decade for uh, Alfred, but a decade for Sean Miller. And they both kind of went back to their little kind of second levels, not a really good way of describing it. That feels like I'm degrading the jobs that they have and I'm really not, but it's kind of like, okay, they got to the top, saw the top and we're like, okay, maybe I'm okay with just being slightly below the summit here. And maybe I'm a little more comfortable there. Exactly right. Okay. Last two items before we uh, get to this upcoming weekend and your bets, Virginia tech loses to Miami. I would argue that Virginia tech is the most underachieving disappointing team in the country this year. Virginia tech had had hopes and dreams of the NCAA tournament. They're talking seedings. I think they won the ACC last year or the conference tournament. And of course they've been dealing with some injuries. Couture has been out. The shark was, was talking about it. Um, but they lose to Miami, and and they've lost, I think, a handful of games recently. I don't have the exact number in front of me. Uh, Miami bounces back very nicely from a loss at Pitt, where they actually kind of handled their business. But Miami just went nuclear or nuclear, excuse me, at the end of the game to put it away against uh, Virginia Tech. It was actually a lot of fun to watch. Nigel Pack was the second he stepped over half court, he was bombing threes. Do you share my sentiment that Virginia Tech's the most underachieving and disappointing team in the country? I, I can't disagree with that. They've lost seven of 10 or eight of 10 here. So, and the unfortunate part is, you know, you got, they lost by one to Clemson. They lost by four to NC state, three to Clemson, two to wake five to BC. So they're right there in a lot of these games. They just can't get over the hump. And the unfortunate part for them too, is the ACC is not, a classically good ACC by any means this year. So not exactly the, the, a good year to have a, a bad year. Let's put it that way. Now on the flip side, Miami's almost the opposite. Miami's very good. They're, are, do they have 20 wins already? They're right there if they don't. Um, no, they don't have 20, do they? So oh, they're 17. They're 17 and 5. Yeah. Now, 17 and 5. Excuse Hold me. But I mean, yeah, sorry. Excuse me. But, um, but you know, they're in, they're in, kind of third and a half place, let's call it, in in the ACC right now. Uh, Clemson's still number one, and I don't necessarily think Clemson's even going to win the conference. So No, Virginia um, is. They, they, Clemson right. losing to BC stuck it in them. They're not winning the conference. Right, yep. But so I think I think kind of – but I think the same as Miami. I think Miami is like a legitimate viable basketball team, right? Like I don't think Clemson is as much as Miami is. Um I'm not saying Miami is going to win the conference. I'm just saying that like in tournament time, I'm not picking Clemson to do anything, but I might have Miami win a game or a game or two in there. So, uh, but yeah, Virginia tech really an underwhelming year so far. And unfortunately I, there's really nothing else they can do from here. You know, their next game, we talk about schedules a lot so far on this program today, their next game is at Virginia or it's against Virginia. So if they don't win that, then the game, then the season is quite literally over for them at that point. They'll fall, you know, under under five hundred. No matter if they won every game from here on out, they finish under five hundred in conference. So um, they're toast if they don't beat a team that could be the best team in the country uh, this yeah. weekend. 
Yeah, I, I kind of feel for Vatek fans because you enter this season with so much hope, so much optimism. And I think a lot of other teams have dealt with season-long injuries or maybe month-long injuries. I, I can't give you this Couture excuse. Uh, I don't know if Padula has been hurt as well. Much seems to have been healthy. For the most part, your team has been close to the hole, and that's really all you can ask for. And they just haven't gotten it done. In a down ACC where Clemson – who right now is at the top, their resume is not that great. They aren't a shoe-in, I would say, for the tournament, even today. Virginia and Miami certainly are. I totally agree with you regarding picking them. But Virginia Tech, man, the opportunity was there. That's what's going to sting even more. And these windows, they close so quickly. So let's see if maybe they have another magical ACC tournament run because that's what it's going to take now to get them into the tournament. Last but not least, recapping Tuesday. What the hell's going on to the A-10, man? I know Frank Martin was on the program. Love him to death. We, we're rooting for UMass. We have some contingency at Rhode Island. We're rooting for them, too. But who the hell wants to win this conference? Anyone? Anyone? Please stand up out of your seat and take control of this conference. Fordham beat St. Louis by 10 in the Bronx and Fordham's pretty solid, but St. Louis was, was first place. And then VCU and Dayton, VCU and Dayton barely, barely win their games against Davidson and Loyola Chicago, respectively Dayton up three does not foul, And Loyola Chicago hits a three to force overtime VCU in a dogfight with Dayton. If these are the three best teams, man, I can tell you what, whoever gets the AQ out of the a 10, unless it's UMass and Rhode Island, uh, if it's one of these three teams, strike them out. That might be the easiest first-round matchup I will pick because I'm taking the opponent, man. Who the hell wants to win the A-10? Well, certainly not going to be Rhode Island. They're awful. Sorry to our to our Brody, never know. Brody boys. You never know. They're terrible. Um, Dayton is kind of the team that it strikes me most here simply because – They've, there's been a lot of talk about how bad Dayton has been this year compared to what you know maybe their preseason expectations were. They already have eight losses so far, but they're only a game back of the of the lead of the conference. And you know, friend of the program, Sully, there, Sully, my good name, uh, a guy that is on the beat of Dayton. You know, I follow him. We all follow him, right? And he tweets a lot about how bad Dayton is, right? And then you look at the standings and you're like, oh, shit, they're still right there, though. So that's kind of the team that that has struck me the most, not as the best team or anything like that, but just kind of as one that's like as bad as these guys have been this year. Uh, you know, as much as they've struggled, they're right there uh, at the end of this, and, and they're going to have a say in how this all goes. Um, but you're totally right. I don't feel... I don't feel good about any of these teams. Fordham has the best overall record of any team in the conference. They don't have the best conference record, but I don't think anybody would have bet that on February 1st, Fordham would have been 18 and four. And I don't think they're even good. No, I think they just, I think they played like D two teams, (laughs) low, low, low level D one teams. And to your point about Dayton, I get what you're saying, but I think even Sully was like, or what Dayton fans are saying is this conference is so bad and we have the talent. How are we not like, how have we not wrapped up the conference already? How are we not like four or five games clear? I feel like there's probably like six teams in this conference that are thinking that speaking of yeah, like Frank Martin, where it's like, what are we doing? What? <laughs> it's right there. All we need to do is like win three games in a row 
and will be in first place for like half the conference. That's all they would really need to do is win like three games and they'll be in first place. Yeah. A, a, I don't want to say a comedy of errors that that's probably putting it a little too heavily there, but it certainly hasn't been a lot of pretty, uh, pretty basketball out there in, in, in the A-10. Oh, the A-10 conference tournament is going to be so much fun. I'm being dead serious. I cannot wait to watch that. That might be along with, with Arch Madness, which is always delivering and, all, and one of my favorite mid-major conference tournaments, the MVC. I'm really excited for the A-10, man. Who knows who's going to show up? Uh, great recap, though, Taylor. Great playbill. Last little item. You know what's coming up. I always ask you what you're looking forward to. But out of respect for the greatest rivalry in all of sports, don't talk to me about Ohio State-Michigan. I don't want to hear about Red Sox-Yankees. Enough with Lakers-Celtics. I don't want to hear about Avs-Red Wings. None of this nonsense. Duke-Carolina up on Saturday. The only thing I'll say here, Taylor, is I'm, if I'm Caleb Love, I'm walking into Cameron, man, and you can't tell me a damn thing. You could not tell me a damn thing after the last time we met. All right. Caleb Love should be walking in there, swagger on a hundred thousand trillion. Thoughts on this upcoming game? How excited are you for Duke Carolina? I'm very excited, obviously, of course, but the uh the cynical side of me uh earlier today took me three minutes to remember that the game was this Saturday because neither of these teams are ranked as I was going through what I was looking forward to this weekend. So uh, Duke played pretty well last night or two nights ago um, until about the end. They actually, they, it looked like a game that they could have won by maybe 15 or 20. Uh, Roach had, I think he had 17 in the first half. Um, so it was really looking like they were going to play well and they kind of skidded to skidded down the stretch. Let's call it still ended up uh, beating wake there. Uh, but yeah, it, just given what we saw last year and how that season ended and how coach K's career ended all of that, it's there's, there's fuel, extra fuel to this fire this year. And um, as a guy who leans a little bit more towards uh, university blue than, uh, than Duke blue, let's call it. I, I, I think I'm going to be rooting for a repeat of last year's final four. Yeah. I'm, I'm always rooting for, for Carolina when it comes to that rivalry, but Here's what I'll say. My mind's kind of in a pretzel because I think Carolina got caught looking last night against Pittsburgh ahead to this Duke matchup. They were kind of rolling. I think they had won four straight heading into the pit game. And I genuinely think they were looking ahead to this Duke game because they're like, ah, Pitt's pretty good, but you know what? We're at home. We're on a roll. Let's wrap up this fifth one and then gear up for the big, big guy in Cameron. That being said, I remember last year twice I was like, nah, no way Carolina goes into to Cameron and spoils Kay's last home game. No chance that happens. They did. Okay, there's not a chance in hell that they beat Coach K and end his career in the Final Four. That happened. Taylor, I think there's a bugaboo. I think there is not a dark cloud, but a light blue cloud hanging over, a baby blue cloud hanging over Durham. And I don't know if they're going to exercise those demons this year. And even if they do, this is the advice I gave Blue Devils fans last year. It doesn't matter. We're only a few months removed in the grand scheme of things from that final four. You could beat Carolina and hold them scoreless. It does not matter in the grand scheme of things. If I'm a Tar Heel fan, 
this is the most confident I'd ever walk into the, the town of Durham. I would walk in and I'm telling you, you want to talk, you want to chirp at me. I would just bring like the box score or a handheld YouTube video highlight of the final four and just say, shut the hell up. And we got this. So yet again, best rivalry in sports. Incredibly excited for it, Taylor. Shire's got an opportunity to kind of put his mark on this rivalry, though, because it would be I think it would be a legitimately good win if Duke did win to kind of, you know, get over that. I don't want to say get over the hump, but whatever we're whatever we're calling the hump here, you know, to say, hey, listen, I know that we haven't played our best this year, but we are still Duke. We do still show up against our rivals at Cameron Indoor. So real opportunity for Shire to say, hey, this is my program now and this is how we do things. And that starts with a win over North Carolina. And very quietly, if they were to win, it would be six wins of the last eight, I believe. Right? They they and, just and, won their fifth and, of the last seven. Yeah, and they'd move to eight and four in conference. And it yeah. would be, I mean, that'd only be two back of Clemson. Yeah, I mean, they'd be right. I, I know they got some injury concerns, but they'd, they'd be right there. So, I mean, and same with North Carolina. They both have the same conference record. So, really a big game for the standings, not not just the rivalry. For the third straight game for Duke, the storyline is all there. And I think they're just going to spill all the marinara sauce all over the storybook again. And I think Carolina's going to waltz in there and beat them and then walk the hell out. It's just this, this rivalry is so much fun. All right, Taylor, let's go ahead now and get to a different type of rivalry, an internal strife, an internal rivalry, you versus yourself in get in my belly. Let's recap some picks from earlier this week. Ball state minus one and a half against Bowling Green hits Buffalo plus two and a half against Akron. That does not hit in Kansas state. We covered plus seven wasn't seven and a half. It was seven, but no matter. I think they lost by 15 did not Kansas uh, cover against Kansas. That brings your win loss record to 11 and 15, 42% on the season. Hey, that's all right. What do we always say about February? This is when we really start judging folks, you included, let's get some winners here and go three and oh, it's me versus me. And somehow I'm just kicking my own ass here. Uh, I guess would be the way to put it. But again, we were, we figured it out. I think we're making that February push, just like you said. So let's start again here. And we're going to start with a team who set their attendance record this last week because it was their first game they've ever hosted as a ranked team. And that was FAU. We're going to FAU's heading on the road uh, to UAB. And FAU is a, is a great basketball team. And they're actually getting a point on the road. So we're going to go FAU uh, to continue their streak going uh, to beat UAB uh, or at least not lose by one. So win uh, on, on the road at UAB. Uh, game number two, USC, a five-point favorite at home against Washington State. Washington State, not a good basketball team. USC coming off a big win with a week off. Uh, after beating UCLA last week, they might might be hitting uh, their stride a little bit here, or certainly that UCLA win should be a great jumping point for them. So USC by five is all. I thought that line would be a little larger, uh, but it is not. So we're going USC uh, by five over Washington State. And we're going to another team that we have right there with Florida Atlantic as kind of uh, uh, the, the Cinderella story of the season. We're bringing back Charleston again. Charleston 
coming off a loss this last Saturday. They played Drexel. Drexel, who we talked about on last program, just lost to the arguably worst team in Division One basketball in Elon. Charleston going on the road to Drexel and only giving up seven points. So we're doing Charleston by seven, USC by five, and FAU to hang within a point of UAB. Looking for that 3-0, baby. I love it. Taylor, let's go ahead now. Get on out of here with some good things. I'll actually start with my good thing, and then I'll kick it over to you. But there was a report, I think, from John Gassaway. Maybe some sort of inclination of possibly, maybe, potentially lowering the shot clock from 30 to 24 seconds. I would love that. Speed up the game, more possessions, and I think it puts less of a burden on the defense. The game is so defensive-oriented. That's why we see halftime scores in the 30s. I think we want more free-flowing offense. We want more creativity, and I want to put the onus on coaches to not just sit on the basketball and get one shot. All right. I want a little bit more speed. I, I need a little bit more creativity. And I think 24 second shot clocks will accelerate that or will be a major contributor towards seeing that because I don't know, maybe it's because I had a different appreciation for the game. Maybe I viewed it through a different lens, but college basketball just looks so much choppier, uglier, dirtier, and quite frankly, terrible than it used to. That's just my opinion, okay? I, th I feel like the days of when Jimmer Fredette left and maybe even Doug McDermott, we just, we've seen slow-paced, review everything, choppy fouls, no rhythm, no flow to games, and it's kind of disappointing. I don't know if the 24-second shot clock will even come or if it'll help, but it is encouraging. And also it's a good thing because if we rewind it back a month, our great friend, great friend of the program, Nate Sestina. I actually asked him as a former player, I said, what's the one thing you would change in college basketball? Thinking he would go with something like a charge call or maybe the the uh, jump ball doesn't just go to possession, but is an actual jump ball. He instead said, lower the shot clock to 24 seconds. So my man, Nate, salute to you. You are a soothsayer. Salute the soothsayer. That's my good thing, Taylor. Well, it hasn't been that long since they changed the shot clock from 35 to 30. That only happened in 2000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at even before that, the shot clock only was introduced in 1985, and that was 45 seconds. Uh, I believe the three-point line was introduced in 87. Um, so talk about some sweeping changes in that time in college basketball. But what I like about this progression is that as ass-backwards as the NCAA is about pretty much everything, there is a progression that as the game speeds up, they can kind of continue to follow that with the shot clock. And the shot clock is also one of the biggest reasons why we don't get, why we don't get the best out of the best athletes in college basketball and how some of them then get to the NBA, a more free flowing style, shorter shot clock, obviously, and then take off. So yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be against that uh, either. To me, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to, I'm going to like, it's not going to affect my, you know, my love or desire to watch this sport. Uh, so I certainly want to be against it. And I know it would probably bring more eyes if you had more of that UNLV or Arizona from the 90s running up and up and down 100 plus point games. I think that would probably get a few more eyes on the sport. Dude, any critique listeners, anyone that just discovered us, any critique that we have on college basketball, take it with a grain of salt because we'll watch it if it's literally two snails playing on the court. Like we're we're going to watch college basketball. This is for 
the more casual fan, the guy who turns in or the, the girl who turns into college basketball come March. And they're like, this game sucks. This is ugly to watch, right? We're going to watch anything. We will, we will. It's almost like me. My wife does all the cooking because I'm very lucky. She could put a plate of slop in front of me and I would eat it because I don't have much of a choice and I love it regardless. So just think about that. Taylor, what's your good thing? So I, I do want to say uh, about this upcoming game or upcoming weekend, the second best rivalry in college basketball, Gonzaga St. Mary's also Saturday night. Good so, theater. So just keep that in mind. It could be the second best rivalry yeah. in college basketball. No, might be, might be exaggerating there, but that should be a great game. And really for the West coast conference about as big as it gets. So my good thing is actually we're going to go home and that's my home or Subi's former home down in Tucson. It is the 50th anniversary of the McHale Center uh, down in Tucson today. Um, Arizona has amassed an 85% winning percentage uh, at McHale Center. And you also got to remember McHale Center was built in 73. Loot didn't get there till 83. And they only made the tournament like two or three times in that decade. Well, Loot before Luke got there. So probably more closer to like a 90 plus percent winning percentage uh, since the early eighties there at McHale center. And I am biased and I understand that, but nobody can tell me that there's a better basketball facility West of the Mississippi than the McHale center. Pauly sucks. And I don't care for you, UCLA fans. Oh, well this guy played, go to, go to Pauly. Cause I bet you've never been. And it kind of sucks. So it's, to me, it's McHale Center, it's 50 years, it's Lou Olson, and it's really, uh, you know, been one of the icons of uh, college basketball in the West. So a happy anniversary, happy 50th birthday to McHale Center. Beautiful tribute. Let's go ahead, get on out of here, Taylor. But before I do, let me just read you a quick text that I got from the Shark. Obviously, he hasn't heard this just yet, but I hope you do listen to the pod because he goes, thanks to Sube and Taylor for hyping Tennessee on the pod. That was last last episode kiss of titch well we reverted back i mean do you, we could shit on tennessee instead if you would prefer that you know not as fun without him here <laughs> yeah true true not as fun without him here that being said shark i do hope you listen and and nod your head when you hear this and we appreciate you listening as well we'll catch you next time here on theater and college hoops enjoy the week and the theater